Well, tonight, if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4, and our text will be verses 23 through 31. This is more of a topical message tonight. However, uh, this will be one of the main passages that we look at among others tonight. Tonight, we are going to look at a subject that my guess is, I might be wrong, but for most of us, it's certainly true with me, is a subject for which you have rarely heard a sermon. I can hardly think of a time when I've heard a sermon on this particular subject or topic, and that is the subject of corporate prayer. When we say corporate prayer in theology, we simply mean church prayer or the gathered church together. So when we talk about corporate worship, we are talking about the church gathered together for worship or corporate singing is what you just engaged in. And so tonight, our subject is corporate prayer. And I want to make a distinction tonight, very important as we look at this. I am not talking about your individual prayer life, your devotional life. And I'm not talking about small group prayer where you are engaged in a small group in Sunday school or outside the church, or you get together with some friends to pray. All of those things are extremely important. But tonight, I am specifically addressing the subject biblically of the gathered church in prayer. And what that is, and what that looks like, and what we are to be praying for. Now, this is a subject that God has really laid upon my heart over the last three to four years. And there are two resources that I have relied on heavily. And I've always been a firm believer that if you use a lot of someone's material in a message, that you should give them full credit and acknowledgement. And so I want to do that tonight. The first is a book that we've shared with you about before. It is called The Compelling Community, where God's power makes a church attractive. It's co-authored by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. And specifically, uh, the resource that I am referring to is chapter 6. Chapter 6 is Pray as a Community. It is dedicated to corporate prayer and really got me to thinking about this whole subject in a way that I had never thought about it before. So chapter 6 of this particular book has been very important to me personally. I've taught through it with our elders. I've taught through it with our deacons. Uh, A few years ago we did this. Um, This was our book of the month a number of years ago. Uh, very important chapter, and any time we teach in this book, I always ask if I can take chapter 6, because I just really like that chapter. The other one that I have relied on is from the Nine Mark series on building healthy churches, simply called Prayer, How Praying Together Shapes the Church by John Anwuchekwa. Now, you may be wondering if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And uh, I am, because um, I know when I brought this book up to the elders and deacons just this past month, they said, so how are you going to pronounce his name? 
when you preach on this. So I went online and found a podcast with Herschel York, who is the Dean of Theology at Southern Seminary. And he has a podcast called Pastor Well, and he interviews John Anmuchekwa. And his first question was, how do you pronounce your name correctly? <laughs> so I thought, great, that's just what I need uh, to, to mention that. So really good book. One of the only books that I know of that really addresses the subject of corporate prayer, of what it means for the church to pray together. This was our book of the month in September. It is in our church library. In fact, I look today. Thank you, Kendall. It is in the window uh, there. Um, and so I highly recommend both of these resources. But this is really drawn, this message is drawn from a lot from these two resources. So our first point tonight is, what is corporate prayer? And I'm going to try to summarize it the best I can from a lot of the things that I have read and from scripture passages that I have gone to, and I'm going to define it this way, and this is just Pastor Tim's uh, definition of corporate prayer, and that is, corporate prayer is publicly communicating with God as a church body that is led by one person but is actively engaged in by everyone listening. Okay? Corporate prayer is publicly communicating with God as a church body that is led by one person, but is actively engaged in by everyone listening. I believe that when corporate prayer is done correctly, when it is done biblically, that it is possible and is meant to be that it is supernaturally engaged in by everyone in the congregation. Even though one person may be leading, it is somehow supernaturally engaged in by everyone who is listening, by everyone who is gathered. The Bible is filled with examples of a godly person leading in passionate, heartfelt prayer. This goes all the way back to early stages of the Old Testament. These are just a few examples. In 1 Chronicles 29, David has called the people to gather together all the materials necessary for the building of the temple. As you may know in the Old Testament, God did not allow David to build the temple. That was for Solomon, but David was the one who gathered all the materials for his son to build the temple. And they gather all these materials. And there is such an, a voluntary outpouring of the people of God. Bringing everything necessary. That David leads the people in prayer. And it said that with all Israel assembled. David blesses the Lord. And he leads. If you look in First Chronicles 29. In this amazing really amazing prayer that he leads the people of Israel in. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon dedicates the temple and he comes before the altar of the Lord and it says that Solomon lifted up his hands to heaven and he leads all of Israel assembled together in prayer. And if you're at all familiar with that prayer, in 1 Kings chapter 8, it is an amazing exaltation of the person and nature 
of God and they just praise him and thank him for his power and majesty and might. Then in Ezra chapter 9, the people, the Israelites who have come back from Babylon, the remnant that has come back to Jerusalem, there is sin among the people. And Ezra, such a tender and sensitive man of God, and he leads the people in a prayer of repentance. And it says that Ezra was on his knees praying to God and he lifts up his hands on his knees and he prays to God and he says, I am ashamed to even lift my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt mounts up all the way to heaven. And he leads the gathered people in this important prayer of repentance and confession. In Nehemiah chapter 9, the Levites gather the people together and they read from the law of the Lord and the people rise and they read from the law of the Lord and then it says that the Levites lead the people in prayer. And then when we come to the New Testament, it appears with the onset of the church in the book of Acts that there is this kind of explosion of corporate prayer. The disciples pray together to find Judas' replacement in Acts 1. The new, uh, excuse me, the new church devotes itself to prayer in Acts 2. They gather in Acts 4 to praise God for Peter and John's release from the rulers and elders of Jerusalem. In Acts 8, the disciples pray together for the Spirit to fall on the Samaritans. In Acts 12, the church prays together for Peter's rescue from Herod. In Acts 13, the church at Antioch prays together to commission Paul, excuse me, Saul and Barnabas. And later, as he writes to the Corinthians, Paul assumes that at their gathered meetings that they are regularly including corporate prayer in chapters like 1 Corinthians 11 and chapter 14. But I want to take two examples for us tonight. The first one will be on the screen, and that is Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1 and verses 24 and 25, the context is Jesus has ascended to heaven, There are approximately 120 believers led by the apostles, the 11 apostles in the upper room. And they need to find a replacement for Judas who has betrayed the Lord and has committed suicide. And in Acts chapter 1 verses 24 and 25, it says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Now here's what I want you to notice. There are 120 people approximately, it says, gathered there. And it says, and they prayed. Now it is highly likely, perhaps certain, that all 120 people didn't just spontaneously pray the same words. That they didn't all, just 120 of them, start praying, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all. No, what is most likely is that one person, most likely one of the apostles, led them in prayer for the replacement of Judas. 
However, it says, and they prayed. Don't miss that. So important to what I'm sharing with you tonight. And they prayed. As one person led them, it was as if all of them together were lifting up their voices and their hearts to the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, where I've had you turn. The context here, excuse me, is that Peter and John have healed a crippled man. And they are brought and they also preached about the resurrection of Jesus. And they are arrested and brought before the chief priests and the rulers of the, the Jews. And they warn them that they are not to preach in this name anymore. And then they, are, they release them. And they come back to where their friends, most likely the church at that time, was gathered together praying for them. And we pick it up in verse 23, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Now I want you to watch this. If there is ever a great, in-depth, theological prayer, this is it. This is what is prayed. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now watch this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Oh, I tell you tonight, that's a prayer. That is a prayer. What it must have been like to have been a part of that prayer and to see the place where they were gathered, shaken with all of them, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then speak the word of God with boldness. But what I want you to notice tonight is in verse 24, it says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Now, again, it is highly unlikely, as they point out in these books, probably certain that not everyone there prayed exactly the same words, like they all spontaneously just prayed the same words. No, it is likely that one person, let's say maybe there were a couple of different people that prayed, but someone prayed this amazing prayer. But as this person led them in corporate prayer, 
the Bible says they lifted their voices together to God as they were led in prayer, as they engaged their minds and hearts and passions, emotions together. It was as if all of them together had lifted up their voices. So in verse 31, it says, when they had prayed. Oh, I submit to you tonight, there's something powerful about the people of God being led in a Bible-saturated prayer. I want to mention three things tonight about corporate prayer. First of all, corporate prayer is how we publicly ask God to act. It is how someone leads us to ask our great and sovereign God to act, to do powerful things, to act on behalf of our missionaries, to act on behalf of needs in our congregation, maybe something in our culture where someone leads us in prayer. Remember what I shared with you just two weeks ago in the morning service. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, after Paul and his companions had gone through this deep trial where they despaired even of their life, they thought they might die. He says this to the church, to the church at Corinth, you also must help us by prayer. You also must help us by prayer. And I shared with you at that time in Romans 15 to the churches at Rome. He says, join us in our struggle through prayer. In Philippians chapter 1, he says to the church at Philippi, to the church. He says, God is going to use your prayers for our deliverance. There's no no better illustration for us as a church than what we just saw happen as we prayed for the four men from our congregation who went to the Cora Valley. If you remember before they went, Jim Ashenfelter, our missions committee chairman, came and he led us in prayer. And each week we prayed for them. We prayed for the pilot to pass his exam. We prayed for the license to be given. We prayed for safe passage for these men who had their route altered as they went there. We prayed for their safety and their effectiveness as they worked with Craig and Shelley and with the people in the valley and we prayed for their safe trip home and God answered and God answered and God answered as we in essence lifted up all our voices together in praying for them yes we prayed separately for them but we also prayed corporately for them let us remember tonight that God loves to defend his reputation when we pray together our needs become public and when he answers his glory becomes public And this is something I have worked with the elders and deacons on. How can we do this better? How can we do this more? That we have script, that we pray scripture and we really lift up needs before the Lord. Let us pray for things publicly and glorify Him publicly. So, it is, first of all, Corporate prayer is how we publicly ask God to act. Secondly, corporate prayer teaches God's people how to pray. 
Really want you to think about this one with me. Corporate prayer teaches God's people how to pray. Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop write this. I can think of little that could be better than modeling prayer week in and week out as we pray together. By praying corporately, we emphasize spiritual priorities over physical circumstances. And we emphasize our life together corporately over our needs as individuals. I can think of little that could be better than modeling prayer week in and week out as we pray together. I want to admit to you tonight, this has been an awakening, a revelation in my own life. I used to think, well, if you're going to pray publicly, you don't want to plan your prayer because that may look like you're trying to impress God or impress the people. I have changed my mind on that. I have encouraged our men. We need to plan how we're going to pray. We need to pray for how we're going to pray because when we pray, we are leading the people of God in prayers to God, and people are listening. It is not only okay, but it is good to sincerely and to prayerfully prepare our prayers. What they point out in these books is that when we pray corporately, people are listening. New believers are learning how to pray as we pray. There are people sitting in the congregation who are confused by prayer. They are learning as we pray. It is good. It is good to plan what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. And folks, this is not only good for our church collectively, but I want to impress upon you that when you pray before your children or you pray before your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, they are listening. When you pray They're learning how to pray. When you pray as a Sunday school teacher, they're learning how to pray from you. When you lead a group in prayer, they're learning how to pray from you. Now, don't misunderstand me. This should never be done to pray flowery prayers that try to impress God or impress people because neither God nor people are impressed, but rather sincere, heartfelt, passionate prayers that can be used as learning tools. Mark Dever believes this is one of the most important tools we have as a church for teaching people how to pray is the prayer of its leaders. And I want to emphasize tonight, it doesn't just have to be deacons and elders. It can be other people in the congregation who could potentially lead us. We've had missions committee members. It could be others as long as they are leading a consistent God excuse me, godly life. It could be others who come up and lead us. It could be men, it could be women. I don't see anything that forbids that a woman could come up, a godly woman, and occasionally lead us in prayer. But those prayers are instructive. And they are helpful. I want to share something with you, and I want to do this so sensitively. When I was growing up, I used to hear what used to be known as the pastoral prayer. And in tradition past, the pastoral prayer in the middle of the service went on and on and on. And it just seemed like the, pra- the pastor was trying to name every person in the congregation who had any kind of 
sickness or illness or trouble going on in their life. And I can remember as a boy struggling to stay awake, struggling that my mind wouldn't wander away, but I couldn't help it. I was just so glad when that prayer was over. And I want to say this, I am not being critical tonight at all because I'm sure those pastors who prayed those prayers were meant well. But I want you to know tonight that is not what corporate prayer is. Corporate prayer is passionate, heartfelt prayer to God based on Scripture. Folks, I want you to think when we pray, we are praying to the living and true God. He is right with us right now. We are praying to him. Let us pray as if he is alive and real and right with us. He knows our needs before we even ask them. Let us pray to him as if we are right before the throne of God because in a sense we are. And to really lift our hearts to him. And I just want to give you some a, a humble suggestion tonight because you may be asked to pray before a group. And sometimes you're asked to pray spontaneously right on the spot. But if you're given time, think about what you're going to pray about. Pray about what you're going to pray about. And avoid the two extremes. Don't just wing it. And don't do a dry lecture. Really mean it. Pray to God. Before the group, before the church, whatever opportunity you're given pray unto the living God imploring him and begging him and it is not a litany of individual prayer requests and don't take my word for it read David's prayer read Solomon's prayer read Ezra's prayer read the prayer of the Levites in Nehemiah read the Psalms now the Psalms are primarily, primarily individual prayers rather than corporate prayers, but they are so instructive for us. Read the prayers in the book of Acts. Read the prayers of the Apostle Paul. I did a sermon series on that. D.A. Carson has written an entire book on that. Read those prayers to learn what we should be praying as we pray together. Corporate prayer teaches God's people how to pray. Third, corporate prayer is a collective experience. When we pray to our Heavenly Father, we remember that true unity comes from God. It is a supernatural gift from Him. We are collectively asking Him together to hear us and to answer us. And I believe that when corporate prayer is done correctly, God supernaturally draws our hearts together. I do. It is not meant to be some dry lecture or some just wing it prayer. It is meant to be. Okay, I'm coming to the throne room of God on behalf of the people of God. Their hearts and minds and souls are joined with me. What am I going to pray? How am I going to pray? By means of the Holy Spirit, we are actively engaged in prayer by the person who is leading us. And that is why the content and sincerity of our prayers are so important. I love what John Anwuchekwa says. He says, it is not the length of your prayers that makes them effective. It is the sincerity of your prayers. 
There may be a time when prayer is longer, but God does not, does not measure effectiveness by the length of your prayers, but rather by their sincerity, by their heartfelt passion. John Anwuchekwa writes this, every time we pray, we should actively reject an individualistic mindset. We're not just individuals in relationship with God, but we are part of a community of people who have the same access to God. Prayer is a collective experience. That's it. Prayer is meant by God to be a collective experience. Yes, there is a place for individual private prayer. There is. Yes, there is a place for small group, break into groups kind of prayer. But as you study scripture, when the church is gathered, they don't break off into groups. Someone leads them in heartfelt, passionate prayer. Well, our second point tonight is what should we pray for? The Lord's Prayer should be the framework for all our corporate prayers. That is consistent in everything I've read. The Lord's Prayer should be the framework. And I'm not talking about necessarily just praying the Lord's Prayer verbally, although there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to think about something with me tonight. In Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. talks about individual prayer. He says, and when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. For your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Something happens in the Lord's prayer. He moves from individual prayer to collective prayer. Listen again. Our Father. Jesus doesn't pray my Father. He prays our Father in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When he teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them in a collective corporate fashion. This is an amazing prayer, as you know well. It is an amazing pattern for all of our prayers, especially corporately. In this book on prayer, he takes many pages to break down the Lord's Prayer. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary, has recently written a book on the Lord's Prayer. It is filled with amazing guidelines for us to pray. First phrase, our Father. He's our Father. We're not praying to an aloof, distant God. We're praying to our 
intimate, tender Abba Father, our Father in heaven. Heaven is the place of highest authority and power in the entire universe. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let us exalt his name, glorify his name, magnify his name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us long for his kingdom rule and reign, for his will to be done. The will of God is always being done in heaven. Oh, may it be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for his will here upon earth, but we long to be with him where his will is always done, where we would truly be in his kingdom reign. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, God, provide daily for our needs, all our needs. Let us praise you that you are the one that gives us all of our gifts that we have every single day. And then, oh, my word, forgive us our sins as we also forgive others of their sins. Oh, how the church needs this. Forgive us for our sins. And let us be forgiving toward others. Forgive us of our sins. Oh, that needs to be a prayer that's led before God's people. And oh God, we are so weak. So frail. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. In the New International Version it says, And deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer to protect us in spiritual warfare. The Lord's Prayer should be the framework for all our corporate prayers. Secondly, we should lead the people of God in prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, often summarized in the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. I don't know who first came up with that acronym, but it's been used by Christians for as long as I can remember or know. I tried to find online who came up with it originally. I don't know, but probably everyone here most likely most everyone knows that acronym. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Those are the two. The Lord's Prayer and that acronym. And it's interesting. They, this is what they use in this book. This is what they use in this book. I went to Ligonier, the teaching ministry, the longtime teaching ministry of R.C. Sproul. And they said, we suggest... Two frameworks for your prayers, the Lord's Prayer and the ACTS acronym. I thought, wow. We need prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thankfulness and gratefulness, prayers of supplication, of praying for others. And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to do all of them at once. That's how I think. I'm such a methodical person. And I remember when I first learned this acronym, I'm like, okay, like five minutes of adoration, five minutes of confession, five minutes of thanksgiving, five minutes of supplication. That's not the thought here. Here's what they suggest in these books. Someone gets up, does nothing but adores the Lord, just praises him. Another Sunday, someone gets up, just confesses, prays a prayer of confession. Another week, someone gets up and it's just Thanksgiving. Another week, it's just praying for some very specific needs. And because we have morning and evening, we can spread those 
kinds of prayers out, but lead them, lead them. Again, think of how important it is to model all of these areas for each other, for new believers, for our children, for our grandchildren, and whatever context God may give us the privilege of leading in prayer. This is not on the screen, but John Anmuchekwa says this, If prayer clings to the hope we share in Christ, then prayer should reflect our togetherness in Christ. If prayer has a gospel shape, then by implication it must have a church shape. If our collective hope is in Christ, then let us pray together to Christ. If prayer is about the gospel, then it must be about the church. It must be about the church. Oh, may God help us. Whether you do it in private, whether you do it in a small group, or whether we do it together as the people of God, let us pray to the living God with well-thought-out, sincere, heartfelt, passionate prayers to our living God Because one of the greatest privileges ever given to a mortal is to know that God hears and listens to our prayers and not only hears and listens to them, but he answers them and has allowed our prayers to make a difference. We're going to close with the song, Rise Up, O Church of God. We tend to sing this song And rightfully so, when we're standing on the word of God, rise up and take a stand on the word of God, and that's good. But tonight, let's sing it this way. Let's rise up and pray. Let's rise up, O church of God, and be a people of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the great and glorious privilege of praying. Praying at home, privately, praying in small groups and also praying together as a church. Help us to believe that you hear us, that you listen to us, and you long to answer us for your own glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.